I get to introduce uh, someone very special to me. I get to work with him every week, uh, but he, he's poured a lot into me, and I don't take that for granted. And church, I hope that's been a blessing to you as it's helped me grow and mature in my leadership. Uh, but Dr. Randy Johnson, he is the director of Master's Counseling, where I get to work two days a week, and he's there all the time. And uh, we've... Hopefully, hopefully less. Hopefully less, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I like to tell people, when Randy's not in his office, I am. And, uh, and that's been great, a real blessing to me, and I love being there. We've had opportunity a handful of times to do some co-teaching, and we've discovered we really like that. And so I, I just said, let's do that at my church. And uh, let me introduce the text. I'll read okay. it, and then we'll jump in. Okay. We, we sit down. Is that okay? You sit down. I'm standing because I'm still not used to being so casual. Actually, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, please know, we, we have plans, but no script. Uh, so this will be a little different this morning. But uh, we've been walking in a series in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 22, actually verse 20, or 21, verse 37 to 22, all from 1 to verse 19. I'll read it in a moment. But if you've been tracking with us, we've, we've, gonna, we've been in and we're going to be in this Paul's on trial. And, and a lot's happening where uh, he has to defend his faith. He, he, he's speaking to it. In fact, the text before this one, we were talking about how everyone was saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you do, uh, you're certainly going to face persecution. In fact, some of his friends were saying they're going to tie you up. Well, the Lord's telling us that, you know, this is going to be a place where you'll be imprisoned, persecuted, and likely even die. And yet Paul says, I have to go. My, my faith in following Jesus isn't about being comfortable, it's about being obedient. And so we catch up right in those moments at that scene. Hopefully you've had time to look in your Bibles. Chapter 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Did you know, or do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins in, out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said to them, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death. Blinding and delivering, binding, not blinding, sorry, I heard a voice over here. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who are there to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I was on my way as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground around, uh, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, rise up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not speak, since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know, the, to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness from him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the reading of God's word. Okay, what, what we want to do this morning, a little different, uh, is, is this is a text that kind of preaches itself. Paul turns around and shares his story. And I thought, man, it would be really fun to have Randy come in and, and just have some discussion. So we're going to discuss, but if you have questions, you can throw up your hand and interrupt us at any time. We'll try that today. Uh, but we want to just look at who, who is this guy? This is Paul, and, and what has the experiences, the events that have shaped his life to be this person who, in the midst of being dragged away from an angry mom that wants to take his life, he turns around and says, hold on, let me share my story. So with that, I think I'll turn it over to you. Well, I guess one of the things, and as we've talked about already in some of our uh, discussions about this passage, you know, I mean, this is a great story of a transformed life, period, yeah. right? And in a sense, it gives us a lot of hope that somebody as, as maybe evil as Paul was, not necessarily saying that's what his intention was, but as, as difficult the a life that he created for everybody else, the Christians, God takes them. And he makes an amazing story of this man's life by a single encounter. You know, I mean, it just like baffles me sometimes how somebody so so bent on destruction can become so transformed in such a you know profound experience. Which means, like some of us do have that experience. You know, like I, I say, you get saved either because you, you get it, you understand it, or else there's a lot of pressure on you that forces you to look for help somewhere. Yeah. And then you often find God. You know, you know, if there's God in this world, you know, then help me out of this and I'll serve you for the rest of my life or whatever. Yeah. But that's how most of us will react, and, and he did too. But very few of a very logical discussion about who God is, yeah. become transformed. So, so the hope that I have for anybody and everybody is that, you know, it's up to God mm-hmm. you know, to bring some kind of transformation and revelation. Yeah. So that's what that passage does for me. Yeah. A couple of things I did see when I first um, was, was thinking about this and what we, what we talk about. Well, definitely there's this sense of identity. Paul definitely knew who he was, Okay. And he had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are very two kind of the top things that kind of came to my mind. And the third one was when he was engaging the soldiers later with respect to, you know, you know, do you know who I am, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of caught, asked questions to engage them. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I have to kind of like uh, be honest here. I probably see everything in these two themes, anyways. Mm-hmm. One, I wrote a book on questions. Yeah. And two, I'm, I'm, I started a second one on identity. So I'll probably see everything like that. Yeah. That's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and one thing that's helpful is, and by the way, for anyone who, we, Randy mentioned his book on questions, we did a care-filled conversations at Academy. If you'd like that book, we're just going to buy a bunch as a church. So just email me or email Hyatt Mission Hill, and we'll get you a copy. But one of the things that, that we talk about a lot and is right there in the text is, you know, how our experiences shape who we are, our behaviors, how we act. And you and I have had so many conversations on that. I thought I'd just give it over to you, what you're seeing about how Paul takes on this mantle and, and begins. And maybe that goes even further back. Well, well maybe, and I, I probably would start a little bit further back, because yeah. if we were going to talk about identity, I guess maybe we should kind of get on the same page a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay? I'll keep going. So I'm going to give a definition, if I yeah. can find it in my notes here. So identity is defined as a set of characteristics by which a person is definitively recognizable or known. So, so you could probably, I could probably go to most of you and go, like, who is this Aaron guy? <laughs> And you'd probably give me a description from your experience as to who he is, because that's who he is wherever he goes, right? So that's, those 
characteristics obviously have been endowed to us by God, but shaped by our experiences. So that's kind of it. Um, there's this guy who did a bunch of research on the development of the, of the human psyche, and, and he, he talked about developmental stages. His name was Eric Erickson, and he studied human development and said that identity is a fundamental organizing principle which develops us, which develops in us throughout the rest of our life. So who I am, wherever I go, that encounter either reinforces it or helps to correct what may not be what I want to be. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what identity is, right? Yeah. So when we look at Paul, and you and I talked about this, is that like, Paul is this guy who is, is, I mean, he knows who he is, right, from day one. I mean, he grew up in a city that was special. He is intelligent, and he trains with some of the best people. So he's got a great mind, okay? And the stuff he learns, he uses, Okay, but, but how does he use it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he follows these principles that were taught in, 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 you know, in the Pentateuch and in the, the, the prophets, you know, all that kind of stuff that was information that he needs to understand to work to become a Pharisee, right? Mm-hmm. So he's really well learned, and he has this confidence that nobody can compare to, you know? And you, when, when you grow up in that kind of atmosphere of really having a sense of who you are, affirmed again and again and again, you just got to get a sense that I am the man. I know what I'm doing. And it doesn't matter what it is you believe, you have to know what you believe. Yeah. Well, and uh, if you don't see it in the text, it's, you just go back and you'll see he quickly alludes to all that. You know, I, I grew up in no obscure city. He's, he's throwing back to the fact that he has Roman citizenship, which was a really unique and rare thing. And we see that when he speaks to those taking him prisoner, you know, he speaks to them in Greek, but then addresses the crowd in Hebrew. He, he knows how to do that because of his upbringing, his heritage. Uh, scholars don't really know, but they, they assume that it's likely somebody in Paul's family line either did some service for the Roman Empire or... Perhaps there was a gift given to the residents of Tarsus that he would have Roman citizenship. But he knew how to leverage that and without making that his whole identity. Uh, but then there's something else really cool about he's, his story is his conversion. And conversion is probably not the right word because it's not like he moves from one faith to another. It's Jesus reveals himself to him on the road to Damascus. And it's like now his whole faith system makes sense. And, and in that moment, it's not like he's moving away from something. He's actually moving toward what's actually been his life goal, is to, to serve and be uh, in alignment to the God of the Scriptures. Yeah, yeah and, and I was just going to reinforce what he said, like in verse, uh, four, verse 4, or 3 and 4. Mm-hmm. You know, he has this pedigree. But, but in 14, it, it talks more about his purpose, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so for, for him, again... Uh, whether it's the the heritage of his parents or the schooling that he got taught in, or or the the uh, the, the purpose that he picked as his life's goal to pursue, right? Mm-hmm. Those things are really well established here in this part of the first part of which we which we read, and so it's his issue really is not an identity issue, mm-hmm. but identity sometimes is our issue. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and, and we'll kind of circle back through this, but when Christ comes and he transforms him, he has to go and learn about who he is as a Christ follower. Yeah. Okay? And, and that we'll talk about a little later on. But up until then, I mean, he, this is clear, but for people who do have identity issues, okay, if they are pursuing what they believe, okay, that's what's defining them, mm-hmm. okay? And his, his, the interruption of what he believed was very catastrophic, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't diss the guy for following what he believed and accomplishing what he did yeah. because his identity was very strong. You know, and for people who do struggle with identity issues, mm-hmm. okay, what, like, how, do they, how do they find themselves? Yeah. Okay, and that's part of what we're going to talk about here too. So yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, if I can throw you on the spot, I know I can. How, how would you speak to us? I mean, there will be application throughout our conversation this morning, but for those who have had such an earth-shattering moment where it's like the way I've viewed myself up until this point now has to change, how do we process that? What, what are some of those steps? Do you know, um, so I, I see identity as, as a, uh, this moment where we have this experience where we're needing some clarity about who we are, right? So, um, so when a person has uh, this crisis, if you want to call it, where they thought they were, they're not, if they don't stop and ask the questions about themselves and about, in this context for us, who God made them to be, you, then they're not going to be able to work through this mm-hmm. because they're not bringing clarity to their situation. Yeah. And, and you have to have clarity. In, uh, it, well, one, you have to be able to be vulnerable enough to yourself to ask yourself, yourself the question so that you can bring clarity to who you are. And that might make things worse before it actually makes it better. Mm-hmm. But if there's no honesty in that, then you're not going to really get to know yeah. because you're not looking. You are avoiding. Yeah. And that really adds to the problem of what people have with respect to their identity. Yeah. Well, that's good. How how we find that clarity? So, you, you know, God put in each one of us a, a moral compass, a set of values. And, and when you know in your heart that what you're doing is not correct, then you're going to become less clear, mm-hmm. okay? Because you're just messing it up. You're, let me put it this way, okay? So when I was doing um, my PhD, well, let me back up even further. So I used to be a career counselor in a, in a post-secondary institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I did there was just obviously to help people to find their way in terms of what they should do or, or be when they, when they grow up. Well, I didn't know really what, what I would be either when I was growing yeah. up, even though I was yeah. telling other people how they should be or what they should be, you know, yeah. a little mixed message there. But anyhow, so I went and got a PhD in queer counseling because I thought, well, not very many people would have one of those, and maybe that could be more helpful, and maybe I'll actually know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> okay? So sell everything, move to Calgary, start this program, and in my research, my topic was how to make career decisions. So I studied all these different models, all except the mathematical ones, because they were just like too hard to understand anyways. <laughs> Anybody with math, math background, God bless you. <laughs> so there, there was these themes that said, well, you weigh out all the things that you think you are and want to be and all the things that you think you're not and don't want to be, and then you add those numbers together, then you should poof, have your answer. Mm-hmm. Well, it still didn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. So I found that uh, this article that said, well, it's what you feel. What do you mean what you feel? It's what you sense in your spirit about what you should be. So there's this gap between what you think and, and there's what you do, and it's only done by what you sense. Mm-hmm. So well, what about people who struggle with what they sense because they don't really sense something. Well, this other research said that people who struggle with making career decisions have three issues. One, they have issues with anxiety. Two, they have issues with self-esteem. And three, they have this thing called the center of self. Some have a, have a, have a sense of external sense of self and some have an internal sense of self. And basically what that means is that those who have a real internal sense of self, they really know about what they want. Like, maybe like Donald Trump. He doesn't care about what anybody else thinks. <laughs> he just says it. Okay, you think he has his external sense. Oh, I wonder what people think about what I say. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> the external sense of self is always wondering what other people think of them. What should I do? What should I be? How should I behave? So they're always kind of like wondering. Well, those create a confusion. Yeah. Okay? So... So this sense of who I am is, is 
struggles is, is a struggle with trying to identify what is it in me that has value, what is in me that has characteristics and abilities. What are those? In, in, and people have so much difficulty being able to sort that out, in, in particularly in this culture that we live now, where we've lost the sense of values and moral compass and things like that, and the affirmations that are driven by, by biblical principles, we're affirming anything and everything. Yeah. We have no sense of structure, you know? Well, that's not going to help people in their sense of identity. None whatsoever. Yeah. Like Paul had really great foundation in terms of a sense of who he was and who he is, okay? It was just misguided. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people in our culture struggle with this sense of who they are because we're just affirming anything and everything. You know, psychology did us a disservice you know, like 25, 35 years ago, whatever. And what it says was, oh, you just need to esteem yourself. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You can be what God made you to be. You know, that, that's it. Yeah. And, and if you aren't in a relationship with God, then you will have difficulty finding it. I'm not saying people don't find it. You know, some people are just very strong and determined, like a Donald Trump, to just do what they think is best and whatever they've been told, they reiterate. But, but, but for the people who struggle, if there's no relationship with God, they're going to continue to struggle because there's no sense of who they are. Yeah. who God made them to be. And without exploring that, without trying to understand by asking the Holy Spirit and having the help of the Holy Spirit that we get to have, they just continue to like struggle with this sense of loss. Yeah. I told Randy he could preach. And he should have just gave it to him. But uh, what, one of the things I wanted, we wanted you to see in this text is just the power of your story. And, and how that can anchor you, and, and how that ought to anchor us, and how that ought to clarify who we are in Christ. Because I love, if, if you're to look at Paul as a whole, and, and we're getting a, a snapshot in this moment, many times in his writings, he's kind of ordering his thoughts and clarifying who he is. He, and he's doing so in the midst of a, a real hard look at his worst, let's call it his worst version of himself, his deepest shame, his biggest mistakes, his biggest regrets, uh, it, when he recalls in the, in the text. And Stephen, the blood of Stephen being kind of on my hands, so to speak. You know, that's a throwback to earlier in the book of Acts where Stephen's the first martyr of the church. And although, uh, who, as he's stoned to death, you know, Paul, then Saul, wasn't, you know, throwing the stones. It says, I was standing there giving, essentially what he's doing is he's giving the nod of approval. You, you, you have leaderships, go ahead. You know, so where you might be the ones doing this, really the responsibility rests on me. And he takes that forward. And he mentions this over and over again. Like, I was the one who persecuted the church. I was the one who, you know, with, with zeal, you know, enthusiasm, I would hunt these people down. And yet now he has to reconcile that going, well, now I'm one of them. When he, some of your Bibles in the ESV, as we read it, it says, I persecuted the way. That's what they refer to as the church, the Christianity. Like I was an enemy now brought in as an ally. And, and how he reconciles that, not just by, you know, we talk about ditches in our culture. Like yep. on one side, our culture loves to do this, you know, just take that thing you're ashamed of and turn it into a strength. You know, wave it around like, like this is my banner, this is who I am, and it's amazing. Kind of lie to yourself, and then everybody will eventually lie with you, and, and we'll be okay. And it's a facade, because deep down inside, we're going, this, this is the thing I want to get away from. This is the thing I don't know how to reconcile in my heart. Or we do the opposite. We, we do everything we can to hide that thing, to, to, to create distance from it. We, we, we don't talk about it. We disassociate from it because it's too painful. And yet Christianity offers this holistic and encompassing way of being who God wants you to be. Like, no, I see who you are. I see you at your very worst. And yet I've made you mine. Paul gets to pen in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you think he was just writing that for the church or himself? Like that, like, that was probably healing words for him to write as he's encouraging the church. Going like, and he, he would even say things like, 
He's encouraging a young man, Timothy, to be a pastor. And he says, you know, Christ died for the worst of sinners, including me. Remember my, my history. And then he would write his, his story or, or his resume to the church and say, I'm the least of the apostles. But isn't it amazing that God uses me as an apostle? It, was, it wouldn't have, we can only speculate, but it wouldn't have been a hidden story <laughs> yeah. to the church at all. Yeah. You know, and, and you're right about the story in the sense that so one of the deepest struggles that we have in terms of, or I should say challenge, in terms of having clarity about our identity is dealing with our shame, yeah. okay? And when you're telling, so shame is, a, is, is, is about feeling like you're the worst person in the world, that uh, nobody wants to relate to you, you can't be anything, and so on and so forth, right? It, but the more that you express what you're ashamed of, the more free you become of, of shame. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird like that, right? But it's true. Because you realize that what you thought was so bad about you, that people aren't rejecting you like you thought you would be. So that sense of acceptance uh, by others helps to bring affirmation of you. Yeah. And, and, and God brings people to bring affirmation because God wants to express his love to us to affirm us in terms of who he made us to be. So when he puts us in various situations and various relationships, he wants us to be able to get what he made us to be and to appreciate and to accept. But when you tell your story, like Paul does over and over again, you know, I'm the chief of sinners, all the kind of stuff, you know, some people might think, well, he's just boasting. Well, he's, he's really trying to process his shame Mm-hmm. in a way that he gets more free, more freedom every time he expresses that shame, yeah. right? And, and so when, when we confess to whoever and we talk about maybe what we're like and we don't re- receive, we don't get judged or, or condemned for it, then we start to like feel more accepted and then we judge ourselves less and we feel less ashamed and we're then more able to accomplish more. So when you look at what Paul's accomplishments were, and you look back, well, man, this is what he was, and this is who he becomes. Well, it was this evolution of letting go of the shame and embracing what God gave as his freedom yeah. from the sin that he was bound in. Yeah. So, so without that, if, if you don't tell your story, Again, you can't develop your identity more that God wants you because you want to affirm what God put in you by telling people about how he made you, how he's developed you. You aren't owning this. You're affirming God, and you're giving thanks and praise to him for who he made you to be. And, and, And those are all part of this Development now, now, obviously, we'll never arrive, right? That's just not possible because we have this nature that we have to struggle with, thanks to Adam and Eve, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll never arrive, but we don't have to live in a, condem- a sense of condemnation. Yeah. Again, going back to what you just read, or what you said, uh, there's no more condemnation. But if we don't accept that truth then you can't move further along in terms of who you are. So it's this ongoing uh, development that we are being put in situations that challenge the way we think and the way we behave. If we don't accept those situations, well, you know, like God sent me to Lethbridge for five years. Oh, that was just like the worst place could ever be. Who would ever want to go to Lethbridge? Hope nobody's from Lethbridge. Okay. But, But, you know, it turned out to be one of the best transformative kind of experiences because, yeah. you know, um, more of a people pleaser by nature. So, you know, being a leader is very challenging. In mm-hmm. fact, when I got the job, and maybe my dad should have said it more quietly, he said, oh, never thought you could do a job like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was challenging where I had to take stand on issues in, yeah. in, in a public uh, setting, and I learned how to do that, which then helped me to accept more of who God made me to be. So I look back at Lethbridge and I th- say, Thank you, God, for giving me Lethbridge and challenging me in a way that I never thought I could be, or developing me in a way that I never thought I would be. Yeah. So accepting those difficult circumstances, whether it's like Paul's or 
yours or mine, is, is part of this process that God is trying to do something because he has a purpose. It's not just about your identity. It's about fulfilling a purpose that he put it on earth for. Yeah. We used to run this ministry at a church that I used to work at. And it was called um, ancient, ancient Paths. There was two things that they were trying to help people understand. One was identity and destiny. Mm. Because if the enemy can under, under, undermine your identity, then you don't get started mm-hmm. on the path and the purpose that he has. Mm-hmm. Second, if you don't understand your destiny, you're going to meander, you're going to wander, you're not going to re- really understand and have your mind and heart set on a purpose. God wants you to know who you are, and he wants to know why you were made. Mm -hmm. What is your purpose? So you can fulfill his purposes and plan for your life. Yeah, good word. Well, and if you think about the life arc of Paul, you know, he has his, his moment where he sees the risen Christ. He's blinded. He needs to go, I think that's God going like, and go think about this. Like, you, you, got, you got to take a moment. And when he receives his sight, it's about a seven to ten year span that we don't hear anything. He shows up later in Antioch, which is a, just a sweet ministry experience for him. It's kind of like that awesome home church that, that he loves to go back to and visit because they're so encouraging to him. But, you know, he's, he knows he's I got to leave Jerusalem. My story here anchors me in who I was, not who I am. God's like, we got to go reshape you. We got to do a work here. And, and, and you know, part of the reason I, I, I see this text, I'm like, I really would love our church to have more reps and more confidence in sharing who they are in Christ because the more we, we grab hold of that, the more it can embody our, our actions, our beliefs, our behaviors, the less likely we are to receive the enemy's words or the lies of, of the world or those old friendships who say, you're not that, you're, you, you're this, what you used to be. And, and yet all of us, if you are in Christ, we have the same story. I was then, but I'm not now. But the degree in which we, we hold on to that and believe that and, and operate out of that is a matter of maturity and trust in, in God's work. And Paul had to develop too. So it was about a seven to ten year span where we're assuming that's the work that took place. Awesome season in Antioch. But then the Holy Spirit's like, okay, time to, to go. And, and that's what we've been reading in the book of Acts, which covers 30-ish years of his life ministry. You know, and now he goes on these ministry journeys and they're not all sunshine and, and roses. Like he, how many times does he get beaten up? How many times? I, I mean, go to... Um, 2 Corinthians 11, you see his resume, and it's not about his academics and his philosophy, although he has that. It's like, got beat up there, uh, got robbed there, I got stoned there, and, and you, depending on how you read that text, you know, either he was, you know, mostly dead or all dead. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that he's like, man, my, my resume is this, like, I've suffered as Christ has suffered, has suffered because I know I'm his. And he's just building and building and building to this moment. He's, he's probably approaching the age of 60 when we catch up to him in this text, which is pretty cool. You know, it's, it's taken a lifetime to solidify this unshakable and steady character. I agree with you. Like he, he's uh, abnormally gregarious. Can we say it that way? Yeah. <laughs> he's an out there kind of guy. But, but he didn't start that way it, with this steady, unshakable faith. He's been building that. Yeah, he was definitely unshakable with respect to some of his pharisaical beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. And then became shaken, and I, and I do appreciate you mentioning that this time that was taken, and we can only assume as much, to help him to, re, uh, to repurpose him, yeah. okay? He's a new creation, has a new desire, yeah. and now needs a new purpose. Yeah. You know, so, you know, in psychology, we have what we call this technique called mindfulness, right? And everybody's heard of mindfulness. You know, this is where I think we, um, we probably should practice more. And mm-hmm. we're just probably too busy to stop and think about whatever it is we're doing. We just keep going and, and uh, realize that, oh, we just went in circles or whatever, you know. But, but mindfulness says, you know, ask, stop and ask the question, okay, what are you doing, why are you doing it, or where are you going, how are you going to get there, you know, uh, 
you know, sometimes when I'm doing errands, I'll stop and think, okay, um, okay which goes first? What goes second? What goes third? Because I have in the past kind of like done the third thing first when I probably should have done it first mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But or I should have done last, I should say. But uh, you, you get kind of mixed up if you're not thinking through what it is that you should do. And so um, I, I could probably thank my wife for a bit of this, you know. Stop and think about what you're doing here. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I haven't learned that yet. No, no. See, I'm 45 years. We've been married 45 years. Over the last five years, I'm starting to get it. We got a few more, few more years to go, right? It, procrastination was another one. I'm, I'm really now kind of angry with being procrastinator, but but that's been years in the making. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm getting transformed slowly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But 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 if what I'm doing more now is I'm asking myself, I'm being more mindful about what I'm doing. I didn't say I am completely there. I'm being more. Okay. And I think if we would do that as Christians, what do I want? Who who am I like with respect to my relationship with God? And and what do I want to do with my life with respect to God? Okay. Mm -hmm. What is this? What is this church's purpose? It has an identity too. Okay, what you guys are shaping here is an identity for this community. And how will this community see you? How will they be able to identify you? What will they identify you as? Mm-hmm. You know? And so as you work on that and shape that, you know. So one church we were at, uh, you know, like they became the church with the school. They became the church with the Dream Center or whatever, you know. And so that was part of what they're doing is more some of the uh, getting involved in some of the social issues out there. So that was their identity. That's, that's not everybody's identity. Yeah. Okay. So, but if we're not asking about who we are and what are we doing with who we are, mm-hmm. then we won't know. Yeah. You know, and, and, and sometimes it'll, it'll come to you, you know, because you, the lights come on, or sometimes it'll be a revelation that God creates for you to be able to get it. Mm-hmm. But either way, if you're moving the ball down the road, that's what we want as, as leaders uh, in, the, in the church, is to help people to develop this story about how God is shaping this person and this purpose to become who he destined us to become. And he'll take however long he has to, okay? So whether it's being in the desert like the children of Israel, he's okay with you going in circles. But he's eventually going to get you there one way or the other because he loves you so much. If someone were to grab you after the service or even ask now and say, how do I really get a clear identity as a, as a follower of Christ, what would you say to them? So I would say, like, you mean, just start asking God, okay? And then be open to what he shows you, either through people. Don't necessarily accept what, if, if someone says, you should go to Africa and become a missionary, okay? <laughs> well, don't take the next plane, Okay, like, let it sit there. Let it simmer. Let it just kind of like, does it resonate? What makes me think I should go to Africa? Okay, what gifts and abilities would I be able to use? You know, so if you have these moments where you ask God, then you wait on God. Mm. And when you wait, he will show you. It may take a while, okay? Whether you're Moses, 40 years in the desert, doesn't really matter. You know, it's interesting. I, I didn't uh, actually think about the age that Paul was at, but oftentimes, it's two-thirds of your life have gone before God really begins to use you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's Moses or, uh, I can't think of some of the other guys right now, but, but, or Joshua or somebody, they, they have lived a long time before they really now. So there's a preparation that God has to do in us to firm things up about us in order for the purpose to be revealed. But if you don't wait for that, okay, then then you'll miss it. Well, and I, 
I'm going to go on a limb because you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're smarter than I am. Um, no, she's smarter <laughs> than us. Well, look at Cheryl. <laughs> she's the forensic specialist, you know. Like, we're just psychologists. <laughs> but I, I wonder if the things that can... Like, when we're planted in our identity, we have a fairly good sense of who we are. Then, then we're able to weather those storms. And, and, and when stuff is difficult and can, it has potential to rattle us, you know, it actually reveals the depth of that or, or the, the weaknesses in that. Is that a fair statement? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's why I think you know, that's why Lethbridge was good, was good for us. I mean, it was a totally different direction. The PhD meant nothing because I didn't end up going into a post-secondary setting. Yeah. It was a totally different field. So, so here I am, like, I mean, I'm trying to help people because that's what we want to do. That's what we're built to do, right? And I'm like, I'm anxious. I have all kinds of anxiety. I don't know how people, why do people come to me? I don't know. I don't know anything. Okay, so I start to pray and ask God, okay, God, this is coming in five minutes. Help, you know. So then I start to see that what I would say Sometimes what a light would come, in, come into their heart or mind would be different than what I've said. Yeah. And I'm saying, oh, it's not even my job. Yeah. I, I just have to be here. I'm just a conduit. But at least I'm willing to be there. And, and that's oftentimes what he wants. The purpose of you is just to sit there and God will bring revelation. Yeah. He might give you some thoughts to share, but between what you share and what they get could be two different things. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because God is doing something in them that you have no clue about. You're just doing what you are told to do. And my peace of mind came when I realized that it's not my job to transform these people. It's just to sit here. Mm -hmm. I'll say things, uh, maybe give insight, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what God's going to use. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so I accept this is who I am. This is where I experience me is in this office more than any other place. Mm. Okay. What is God going to do with that person? I don't know. They're on that journey too. Yeah. It might be a one-time visit. It might be for 10 years. Yeah. That doesn't really matter. You know? Yeah. What I'm hearing in that, when I understand I'm rooted in who I am in Christ, I also understand... Not just me, but how, how Christ operates through me and, and my relationship to him. Uh, you know, I think of Paul. Again, we're, we're riffing all of this off of the life of Paul because it's such a great example. But, you know, here's this guy, you know, N.T. Wright would say he, he basically gave us Christian theology. Like, as we read his letters, that's what he's doing. He's like, hey, if this is true of Jesus, then this is true of Jesus, and this is what we ought to do. And he could stand in this, you know, often the onslaught of criticism and difficulty and hardship. You know, he'd write letters and they'd write back and they'd say no. And he'd say, I'm crying for you. I'm praying for you. And then, okay, Paul. And then, you know, it, was this, it wasn't like quick growth. It was this long, arduous process. But he had a picture of something that was far grander, uh, a human ethic, uh, a way of the created order as it should be. That is just so deeply ingrained in him and ground keeping his feet on the ground, that as he writes that, you go, well, that's not Paul. It has to be, he, he understands who he is in relation to his creator and to the, his savior. And I love, you and I, we have already alluded to this, but I just want to bring us back to it. I love when I read Paul's writings, how often he, he anchors himself in his failure. Uh, we talked about, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 12, the thorn in the flesh passage. He basically says, three times I prayed to the Lord to take this into metaphorical thing, this thing from me. And we even speculated a little bit, what is that? And we don't really know, scholars debate, and it doesn't really matter, but he, he basically is going, God, like, I'm so weak, can you take this from me? And, and we don't know. It could be a physical malady. It could be the pressure of what he's doing. It could be the fact that he's experiencing particular hardship in what he's doing at that time. But what we do know for certain is, is that whatever it is, he feels like he can't endure. And God says, no, basically, I'm going to let you have that so that you'll need me. And, and Paul, when it kind of sinks in, he writes, 
because his grace is sufficient to keep me in humility. And it's cool. I, I did some homework for us. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I've been a, a pastor 16, 17 years now, and I always thought that God named Saul Paul. We see that happen a lot in Scripture. You know, Abraham, or Abram, you're going to be Abraham. And it's this big moment. And one means father, one means father of many, and everyone's like, ooh, it's deep. Um, it just shows up. Acts 13, you can look, look it up. It's just one day at, at Antioch, it's like, and now Paul. The name change. And, and, the, and the name change is actually really cool. It's significant. Saul means the one we prayed for. Like, that's a good name. Like, parents, if you're expecting, good name. The one we prayed for. You know, and, and it's like, yeah, the church could have been like, that's the one we're praying for. The guy whose his, his heart is going to get moved towards the gospel and he's going to be this catalyst. But then, and now Paul. Paul means humble, but more specifically, the etymology in Hebrew is this. He's the pebble that starts the avalanche. Like, and it's pretty accurate. I wonder, again, it's speculation if somebody in the church just one day went, you're not a Saul, you're a Paul. This is what God's doing and will do in, in your life. And, and you can either step into it or you can reject it. But like, that's, that's what God's doing. And Paul clearly, he takes up that mantle and is like, yeah, okay. But not out of pride, not out of like, yes, I'm this, this world changer. It is the, remember, the root is humble. It's like, okay, God, if you can do that through me. Like, I imagine when he writes, guys, I'm the least of the apostles. If he can do it through me, like, an idiot like me, guess what he can do through you? And, and you know, it's amazing. I might land the plane with this and let you add any final thoughts. Um, he is back in the city he was told to run from with tremendous love and respect and a heart and the, and the people who, you know, his heart is moving in a new way. You know, God says, hey, I'm the one you're persecuting. And he goes, you know, who are you, Lord? And he's Jesus. And so he begins this story of transformation, finding his identity and his purpose. And then he, he's wrestling to come back. And when he finally does, they're dragging him off to, to, to kill him. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Let me tell my story. I'm not that man anymore. But if you want to, and it's funny, when you see him standing before Felix, we already looked at this chapter. He says, of all the charges, none of them, are, none of them stick, but one does. I have hope in the resurrection of Christ. But that's pretty cool. Randy, thoughts? Well, so I think um, whether a person is struggling with a sense of who they are, or they just have uh, a sense of overload, uh, those are just symptoms of the sense of not having clarity about who they are. And going back to the point with respect to just asking God, I, th I think, you know, um, if, if, if I guess it's kind of like a muscle, you know. We have it, and over time we lose it as we age and all that kind of stuff. And But if you keep exercising, pumping iron, all that kind of stuff, you can maintain that or even grow that. So with identity, you, you can do the same thing with your identity by putting yourself in situations or allowing yourself in, to be in situations where you get challenged. Okay? So whether it's in this community, whether, for example, you pick two or three homes that you just now focus on uh, to build a friendship with, you know, somebody does that, that you're, you're exercising... Uh, maybe what God has told you to do in, with something or someone that you have no clue about, but this is what you believe. And so you're exercising that faith and you're learning about who you are in that context because you are practicing this. And this church then gets more of a reputation or identity for being those who reach out, those who care. So, you know... When you exercise what you do know, then you become more of that, okay? And if you're exercising wrong, that'll also show up too. And you might have to tweak how and what you use as you're in your exercise routine, but it will get better because you are working at something that has a purpose for you. So really, it comes back to always asking for more clarity. And when we're busy, we don't.
we get lost. And we fall back to some of our old patterns of, of how we were. You know, and I noticed that in you know, some of the other chapters, some of the other books that Paul writes. You know, he kind of gets into this, uh, it's all about me, you know, from time to time. So whatever fight or, or conflict he's been in or whatever struggle he's having, it shows up in how he talks about himself. Well, I did this for you. I did that for you. Then Colossians or something like that. You know, that poor me stuff shows up. Well, it does that with every one of us. So those are just symptoms that are saying, okay, there's something that you're working through that you are having difficulties working through. Either talk to somebody or, or talk to God so that you get some clarity as to what that issue is and then move on. Yeah, thanks, Randy. I've got a question. I'll just say that back. Yeah, so the question, if you had a friend named Paul writing you from prison saying, I'm praying for you, what would you feel like? Schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Probably because you would go, here's this person who's grounded in joy and clarity yeah. to pray for me. Yeah. And yet my circumstances somehow in my, my mind, my emotions feel bigger than what he's going through. See, to me, I think the ultimate in a sense of identity is your ability to serve. Mm-hmm. Really. Because it's not about you. Yeah. And, and we see this in Paul, is right? This is an ultimate. Because you, you don't care what people think. You, you don't... You, or just so focused on your purpose yeah. that you don't care. So to me, it's, it, I mean, Christ came and he knew who he was, obviously, right? Yeah. And he keeps saying that. Yeah. I'm about my father's business. So whenever he was attacked by the Pharisees or whatever, he just was very clear, very confident, very comfortable. With, I mean, whether it's the encounter with Satan in the wilderness or whether it's the Pharisees, always clear. And then he would go and serve. That's good. Well, let me pray. I know we've gone over time, but we're going to feed you. So <laughs> we, can, we can lean on that. So, Father, uh, thank you for, for my dear friend Randy. Thank you for how you've allowed him to bless and speak into our church. I pray that you would help us to be rooted in an identity in Christ, who we are in you. And Jesus, may that give us great purpose. And for those, Lord, who, who perhaps they don't know Christ, perhaps they're, they're searching for identity, Lord, would you, as Randy shared today, be willing to ask. And I pray, would you work in our hearts, continue to transform us, that, Lord, you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just... Pray as well. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church that you've established in this community. It's a, there's a purpose, absolutely. We want to embrace that. There are, there are things that you need to show us so that we have clarity about how we can shape what you have put in us here in this church to become. Just bring that clarity to light so that we can fulfill that purpose for this community and being in light. In Jesus' name, amen.